Welcome back to the Chatters Box. My name is Kyle McClellan, your host, and today I am joined by a guy that you have heard for the last few weeks, and now we're going to get a chance to dive in a little bit and learn a little bit about his history, his connection to St. Louis, and all of his time in baseball. So, Chip Carey, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Chatters Box and stepping into the Chatters Box here to uh, to get to know you a little bit more. I think the fans are... Like I said, they've heard you, and now uh, I, I was I was talking to my wife, and we've been listening to the game. She's like, I, "Tell me about this guy a little bit." So we're going to dive into this and, and get to know you a little bit. Glad more. to be here. I have a face made for radio, so I'm glad to be with you. Absolutely, <laughs> that, that, that's uh, that that's probably uh, the most common thing said for uh, <laughs> right. for for TV broadcasters. A face for radio. We're going to make you look good. But uh, so, are you enjoying this? How's this oh, been? Oh man, uh, it's been a dream come true, really. Um, you know, when you're in a place for 20 years like I was in Atlanta, uh, it's hard to leave. Um, you know, I'm 58 years old. I'm not 28. I'm not 38. I've got I've got kids. I've got a mortgage. I mean, uh, being in Atlanta and following my dad and working with my dad there was a place that I thought was going to be my legacy job. And I worked really hard to try to make that happen. Um, so it was difficult to, to move away from that. But it's ironic because almost 32 years to the day, um, the Cardinals offered me this job with a man named Tom Barton at Bud Sports who came down to Orlando. I was, gosh, I was 26 or 25 years old. And he said, I've got an idea. I want you and Joe Buck to come to St. Louis. and We want to recreate Harry Carey and Jack Buck with a modern twist to it. And he said, how would you like to be the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals? And my jaw dropped. <laughs> and for myriad reasons, I couldn't take the job. I was newly married. I had, uh, you know, my, my job with the Orlando Magic had just started. I was loyal to Pat Williams. And I didn't really know where my career was going to go. And so, again, as I said, uh, life and baseball life in particular always seems to come full circle. It always seems to revert back to home. And uh, 32 years later, this opportunity came about, which means I'm a very slow learner. <laughs> um, but I'm glad it did. And to answer your question, yeah, this has been uh, even better than I could have ever imagined. So I'm really grateful for all the wonderful things that have happened so far. So I want to dive in, I, you know, preparing for this, learning about your history. Sure. I, we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. Because um, it's pretty remarkable, your path, uh, obviously the legacy that your family has, um, but I think understanding, for people to understand the time that people in your family have spent at different places and how you've kind of ended up there, but um, and your ties to St. Louis prior to. So we'll sure. get into all sure. that. Sure, whatever you want. Uh, this happened pretty quick, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, I mean, it was, I remember winter warm up. there was talks about it, um, not really knowing what's going on. We were down at fantasy camp uh, with, with a bunch of alumni. Brad Thompson was down there. We were hearing, oh, maybe, you know, they got down to a couple ones, but you get named I, probably end of January, maybe early February. Uh, that sounds about right. January. Uh, look, Danny's situation took place uh, before Christmas. Um, I got a call about Seven to ten days after that, hey, would you have an interest? Uh, of course, I did. Right. Um, I had a contract in Atlanta, but the people at the network said, look, if the Cardinals want to talk to him, you have to let them talk to him. I think they looked at this as a upward move for someone like me. Um, I never imagined that the opportunity would come about, much less the way that it did, and we can talk about that if you mm -hmm. want. Um, but, yeah, f from the time that I came up for an interview, which was on a Friday uh, in mid-January, um, I don't know how many other candidates came in and talked about the job, but Friday afternoon came up, flew home Friday night, spent a very nervous Saturday, very <laughs> nervous Sunday, wondering, okay, where's this going to go? And I live in St. Augustine, Florida, was out on a morning walk and uh, got a phone call from Larry Mago who said, hey, good morning. How are you? I said, oh, well, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> and he said, well, I have a question for you. And I'm thinking, well, do I need to come back for another interview? And he said, uh, no, uh, we want to know what's it going to take for you to come to St. Louis. And I, my jaw hit the floor. I said, I'm in. 
And that's how he offered me the job on a walk on a Monday morning in St. Augustine, Florida, about 9.30, 10 o'clock Eastern time. And my world, frankly, changed yeah. on a dime to yeah. your point, yes. Well, and, and so you you get the job. Spring yes. training starts, let's say, late January, right around there. So yeah, a couple weeks later. Two weeks later, it yeah. starts. I mean, you, you're you familiar with the Cardinals, right? I mean, they're coming into town. You know some of the names. But, I mean, in, in your role – I mean, there's a lot of research and, and relationship building and things that you have to do in that short amount of time. People have asked me, Kyle, what has this part of it been like? Yeah. I, you know, you've been around a team. You, you know people instinctively. And it takes you a year or two to really get to know everybody and dig down. Um, for me, it's like uh, being the new kid in school. But to take that a step farther, I'm the new kid in school speaking a foreign language. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how the Cardinals travel. I don't know where to sit on the bus. I don't know how to get <laughs> to the ballpark. I don't know the path to the booth uh, if, as a team employee. Uh, you know, I, where the heck am I going to live? How do we get to the – all the little things that I think those of us who travel and are in the insular world of a baseball team take for granted yeah. and it becomes second nature. All of that I've had to learn with a lot of input and help from my friends and colleagues, but also just doing it on the fly because, as you know, in this business – uh, that's the name of the game. It's adapting. It's being able to, when the red light goes on, perform. Yeah. And per- performance doesn't mean just saying ball two. Yeah. Performance means knowing where to go, what time to get your bags down to the hotel <laughs> lobby, all the stuff that makes life a whole lot easier. But to your point, I'm still learning. I'm still learning names. I'm still learning faces. And so much of what we do as a play-by-play guy is um, instinctive. I can watch you warm up, and I know it's you because I'm used to seeing your body mm-hmm. um geometry Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i know how the manager uses his pitchers and i know who's unavailable that day and what his pattern is and how he likes to use guys and what his defensive substitutions are then you go into okay now we have the wbc yeah two-thirds of your team's not there and some of your major players correct (laughs) they're gone they're play they're playing for panama or the u.s or whatever and i'm seeing guys from low a high a and we don't have a media guide because it's spring so yeah um Baptism by fire, I think, is the best way to, to um, uh, describe it. I gave myself a C plus, <laughs> but as things go on and things went on in spring training, not to mention working with two new partners, yeah, um, it got a lot more comfortable, and I'm really grateful for how patient they were, how patient the TV crew was, how patient Ollie and his staff have been. Everybody's been really welcoming, and that really helps make the transition easier. Well, I mean, and you have a name coming in. I mean, well, you're a professional. You, you've done it. You have a reputation. Which... Well, professional, I appreciate the professional part. I've never, ever tried to trade on the name thing because, as I said, um, you know, we hear it all the time. Oh, it's an nepotism. Your dad got you this job. Your granddad got you this job. And did they help? There's no question right, they right. did. Um, but ultimately, as I said, when the light goes on, you either do it or you don't. Yeah. And how you conduct and comport yourself. And it would be very easy for me to in Atlanta just to sit back and say, well, my dad was here for 26 years. I can do whatever I want. I never did that. I never will do that because I have three sons who want to do this too, and I'm trying to teach them the right way to do <laughs> yeah. it as well. Well, you don't stick around in this game, whether Correct. you're a player or media, anybody, if you're not doing a good job. And um, and, and you just ha- you have the voice for it. I tell you, when you – when you in spring training games, I was like, man, it just like that voice just that like that's just a that's like that's a gift, you know. Like well, some people just have the voice and they're able to do it, and you you certainly have uh, absolutely the voice. But but learning like you got to learn, you know, what's the guy's go to pitch? Is is the slider? The you're doing that for like you said in spring training, right. but now also that okay, it's been whittled down to you have the team now really learning when are the guys on, when are they off, you know what what pitches they throw. Uh, what what pitches they like to hit? What are their weakness? You know the, all those things. It's like you said, it's going to take quite a quite a long time 
Um, but you're going to have to spend, it's going to have to be intentional on your part, right? Of yeah, getting would, to know the guys, going down, talking to exactly. them, building their trust and relationship. Exactly. I, because this is a relationship business. Yep. Uh, any trained monkey can say ball too. And that's, <laughs> I really believe that. Um, you know, the voice or whatever, that, that's just, that's, you know, the hand of God. Okay. I, yeah. There are times where I wish I could have thrown a 95 mile out of fastball. That would have been <laughs> Me too. I wish more. I could have oh, thrown yeah, Come on now. Um, but no, it is, it is, it is intentional. I mean, I'm in Ollie's office every day. I'm in the locker room every day. And part of the reason why is I always feel that our job as broadcasters is to put the player's performance in the best possible light. It's not comfortable for us, and you know this as mm-hmm, a player. Mm-hmm. There are days where you're terrific. Those are easy days. Mm-hmm. When you walk in and you blow a three-run lead in the ninth inning and you've got to answer the questions, it's never personal, but we want to be a conduit for what happened to the fans. And as long as we're fair about it and not personal, I don't think the player can get upset. Are they upset in the moment about how things went? Yeah, of course. Do we like asking those hard questions? No, we really don't. But part of the intentional thing for me is because I'm new, if I say something that isn't right, it isn't intentional, I think it's my duty, it's only fair to the player that I be present so they say, hey, this wasn't right, here's what really happened. And I have no problem Mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know what, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. I I think that humanizes you because there are people in the business who are never wrong. Mm -hmm. And those are the guys that you really don't like being around or listening to because they, they just aren't fair. So... Um, yeah, it is intentional. I'm trying trying to catch up and get up to speed as quickly as I can, and uh, hopefully, uh, what the product on the uh, end for the end user is hearing is is worthy of that hard work. So I, I want to explain this a little bit. There's TVs on nonstop right. in the clubhouse, right? right? And yeah. it's either the TV feed or the radio feed. You can select either one you want to listen to. So players hear it in sure. real time. Sure. Um, if if I'm in the in the in the uh, video room, you know, watching my previous at bat or something, and you're you're talking about something uh, about my previous inning or my previous, I hear it in real time, and sure. so that those conversations happen. I've I've actually gone to a couple of broadcasts and said, hey, I don't think this is fair. You know, you, what you I want to explain to you. You know, you're talking about how I'm getting you know crushed and the guy's hitting foul homers what you don't know is i know this guy's going to swing at my cutter inside off the plate and so i'm throwing it there to get strike one so i can get him out later down mm-hmm. the road but you're teeing it up as if i'm having a terrible day right your sliders your cutters flat yeah, right? yeah. But, but i'm actually executing what we're trying to do and and so we've i've had conversations with people on that it's not it's it's a it's a tricky balance you know you, yeah. you have to get on the plane with guys and like you said we i've had teammates that we've had they've had conversation with broadcasters of hey, you don't know what I'm going through, and have those conversations. So, so how do you balance that? Of you, like you said, you have to give the real of what's going on. Guys have bad days, right? Sure. And on a player standpoint, I would expect that the player would stand up and own that, just like you said, you would own of it course. and say, "Hey, I had a bad day. That's unacceptable. I'm going to be of ready course. to go tomorrow." Right. Um, but it's a constant battle, right? Like you, you want to be fair to the player, and and obviously understand that the game's very hard, <laughs> and it's hard to play. <laughs> And I yeah. remember Danny Mack telling a story about Jack Buck threw him on, like, you know, didn't tell him anything. He's like, go. And an infielder dropped a ball. And Danny's like, I jumped all over him. And Jack kindly took the mic away and said, you think you could catch that fly ball? And he was like, don't ever forget that. You know, like those lessons that go There's no question. Um, to create that relationship. Because a good relationship with the broadcast team and the players and the and the front office and the coach makes the whole experience better for the It's fans. hugely important. We're ambassadors for the team. Yeah. Again, as I said, our job is to try to put the best possible picture on the product, right? Like uh, the other night, the Cardinals played the Pirates. Uh, first game of the series, leadoff double, didn't score, didn't score all day, didn't have a hit with a runner in scoring position. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Right. You could bury the Cardinals, or you can say, hey, you know what? Pirates got big hits. 
give Velasquez credit. He pitched pretty well. You know, Montgomery pitched well, just didn't get any run support. I said on the air, it's not sometimes how you pitch, but when. Mm-hmm. And that was a bad day for him and that he got no run support. That happens. Uh, as far as the relationship with the players, that's two-way street. I, I think that in today's world, and we were talking before the podcast started, players are, are reticent, at least many in this era are reticent of their interactions with the media because the differentiation between a writer, a uh, local radio and TV news and sportscaster versus a team rights holder is getting narrower and narrower. I don't think there's an understanding necessarily of how our jobs work. Our company pays money to broadcast this product. I'm a team employee. My check in many ways comes from the same place Mm -hmm. that yours does. I have a vested interest in how well they perform, and I want to do my best to say that. I'm not a writer or a Twitter guy trying to create a news story. I'm not a journalist. I'm a reporter. I'm reporting what's happening. Um, And to that effect, many players don't interact all that much with the media because if I want to have a conversation with a player, all of a sudden there's nine other people with yeah. microphones and they don't know where that's going. So I understand it. So to your point about interaction on buses and planes and hotel lobbies and coffee shops on the road, that happens a lot because they see, wait a minute, Chip's got a cup of coffee and he's wearing shorts with paint splatters <laughs> on him and a ripped T-shirt and he's going to work out. Yeah, he's just like me. Um, I think that's helpful. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly important because it is a relationship business. And if they know that I'm not out there to – be like my grandfather, which was ripping guys. No, that's not my style. It never has been. It never will be because, again, this game is incredibly hard to play. I know how hard it is to play because I can't do it. Yeah. And I've never, ever once said, oh, what an easy play, ever, because there is no easy play. I don't know how anybody in this game ever gets a hit. Guys are throwing 97, 98-mile-an-hour sinkers, round ball, round bat, fouling a ball off their foot, and then they have to dig in there and do it again, knowing that another one's coming in across their shoe tops. It's an incredibly hard game, and I have ultimate respect for the players who perform it, and I think that they have respect for the job that I have to do because, as I said, I try to shine it up as best I can. Yeah, and I just think that's important for people to understand that dynamic of, you know, this is this is going on all the time, and there's, there's a lot of – this isn't just, you know – uh, players show up at 6.30 like Little League and, you know, oh, yeah. stretch a little bit, go play. Broadcaster, you know, rolls in at, you know, 6.58 and That's hits, a hits the on no, button. <laughs> it's, it, it's a – I mean, it is a it is a, an all-day – it's a relationship building. Correct. It is a trust building. Correct. Um, and, and, you know, you, you see it. You know, there's there's times where, you know, you're on the air. You're, you're talking. You're going to say things – uh, by mistake or things you shouldn't have said. And and I, the showing up piece is important. Of, Very much so. Um, hey, I'm down here. If anybody wants to talk or have something that I said yesterday you got an issue with it, or you know, is there a misunderstanding, we can talk about that. And, I, had a, and, I had a problem with that in Chicago when I did the Cubs games. Um, and it's interesting. It's the only time this has ever happened to me. Uh, the Cubs in 04 were supposed to win the division and supposed to go to the World Series. Remember the Bartman year mm-hmm. the year before? They were really loaded. They had Wood, Pryor, Zambrano. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were stacked. Um, they had injuries. They staggered through. They led in September. I think they came to St. Louis and lost a series that pretty much knocked them out. And uh, in the middle of that summer, um, the players wanted a meeting with me. Okay, sure. I went down at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, a, play, excuse me, a player wanted a meeting with me. I said, sure, what time? I said, why don't you go down to Brett before batting practice at 10 o'clock? We had a day game today. I said, sure, no problem. I go down. I walk in. They shut the clubhouse door. It's all of them. And me and me alone mm. in the room. I said, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> it went from, you know, apparently one guy didn't want to talk to me face-to-face, but he wanted to bring all of his buddies in, which is the, the, the essence of unfair. Mm-hmm. 
So they said their piece, and I said, look, here's the bottom line. My check comes from the same place your does. But this is the first, last, and only time I'm going to do this. I said, I don't pitch it. I don't catch it. I don't throw it. I don't put the players together. I don't make out the lineup card. I don't make the bullpen changes. You do. If you want the broadcasters to say great things about you, play better. I can't control any of that. And I said, what's frustrating about a meeting like this is this. And I pointed out, player A, you know, two days ago, you asked me to say hi to your grandmother in Dubuque, Iowa. Mm -hmm. Four days ago, you had your daughter's birthday. And seven days ago, uh, we talked about your charitable thing for you on WGN TV. I said, not a single one of you guys came up and said thanks. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, when you went five for five last month, or, hey, you won 10 games in a row. Not a single thank you, but you lose six in a row and it's somehow my fault. I said, that's not fair. I'm on every bus, every plane, in the hotel, in the lobby. I'm on the field every day for batting practice. If you have something you want to say, I'm here. I'm the most accessible guy in the world and I'm here for you. But if you don't take advantage of that, I have to assume that what I'm saying is correct. Right. And more importantly, if you have a problem, let's go look at the tape. And if you have a, have a problem with it and we talk it out and I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Mm -hmm. But many times it's, oh, my sister or my aunt or my 100%. cousin said this, and it gets lost. In We've all played the yeah. lost in translation yeah. game. They go back and look at the tape and say, ah, forget it. You're right. I, I haven't been very good. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I appreciate you trying to cover up for me. So that yeah. happens, and sometimes it's unpleasant. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's very healthy because ultimately, as you said, it's all about trust. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to – you grew up in St. Louis. I did. I, I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, Parkway West, mm -hmm. that's the, I mean, obviously, if you grew up here, i got to ask you that question. C-minus student, grades aren't everything. Remember that. <laughs> Parkway yes. West High School. So, I mean, you're, you're – what what age – I mean, were you born here in St. Louis? Yeah, I was, you born came... a, I was born at St. Mary's Hospital. Okay. Uh, my mom and dad, when they were married, lived right in the heart of Kirkwood. My dad went to Webster Groves High School. He was in a Webster Groves Hall of Famer, Harry Carey. My grandfather went to Webster Groves, too. Uh, my maternal grandparents lived in Frontenac for 50 years. Uh, I grew up um, uh, in uh, Fox Creek Estates right behind Queenie Park. Right yeah, off of, yeah. Uh, That's where I always Road. did the science fair. I would always okay. qualify. Yeah. Oh, I was more you? than a C student. I was a little better than you. I got oh, of course. Science fair. I had to well, you know, go you do my thing. You have the voice of the talent for it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, right behind Queenie Park. Yeah. And um, uh, went all the way there through high school. And then um, my, my parents divorced when I was a little kid. I was five. And I stayed with my mom in St. Louis. And uh, didn't really know my dad very well. Hardly knew Harry at all. Um, and when I had a chance to get away from what was at times a, a contentious childhood here, uh, I wanted to go meet my dad. So I got into Georgia, um, uh, didn't get in academically, I had some help, but took some, some tests and qualified, got into Georgia and made the Dean's list every year and got my degree in broadcasting in 87 and off I went. But, uh, St. Louis for me, birth to, to, uh, 18, 19 years old. Hmm. And, and so your first gig you, you get in the broadcasting. Yeah. Your first gig was Seattle. Is that correct? As a, as a major league as broadcaster. A major league, yeah. That was my second one. Okay. Um, you know, I've, <laughs> there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. Right. There weren't podcasts. We didn't have cell phones. I know the kids who are listening to your podcast can't believe that, that there was actually <laughs> a magical world where you had to actually dial a number or spin a rotary phone to call somebody. Uh, my first job out of college was at a TV station in Panama City Beach, Florida. I'm a rather large fellow. I don't look very good in a bathing suit. <laughs> And we had a news director who said, uh, we're going to change the image of this station. We were the third rated station, and we were losing to a team, that, uh, to a station that was located in Alabama. That's how bad they were as far as ratings go. So they bring me in. I did news, weather, sports, general reporting. You should see me do weather. It was very Will Ferrell-like. <laughs> um, but he said, we're going to wear coat and tie. 
okay, we're going to look professional in town. That's great. You know, raise the image of the station. That was the good news. The bad news, he said, he said, carry your beats the beach. Okay. Summertime in Saint right. in, uh, in uh, Panama City. Pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. But I forgot we didn't have camera people. Mm. We were our own cameramen. So imagine July, Florida, beach, coat and tie, mm-hmm. 50-pound camera, 30-pound <laughs> tripod, 25-pound tape deck, struggling in the sand with all this stuff and getting down to the beach and shooting spring breakers while I look like Albert Brooks from Broadcast <laughs> News just sweated through my suit with the perspiration coming down. Needless to say, I didn't get many dates doing right, that. Right. But that was my first job. Then I went to Greensboro, North Carolina, was there for 18 months and went from like the 119th market to the 50th market overnight, which was great. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets um, were starting up around 87, 88. And I had a friend who worked there. And um, Bob Neal, who was a broadcaster with Turner Broadcasting, was at the NBA All-Star Game. And he talked to Pat Williams, who was founding the Orlando Magic, the basketball team. They were getting ready to get started. They were looking for a broadcaster. Pat had worked with my dad in Atlanta as the general manager for a year and had been in Chicago for years as the GM of the Bulls and knew Harry. So uh, Pat says to Bob, Hey, you know, we're looking for a broadcaster. You know anybody who'd be interested? And Bob said, well, yeah, Chip Carey. He's, and Pat misheard him. He said, Skip? Skip's already done. And Bob said, no, 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 not Skip. It's Chip, Skip's son. And Pat went, oh, God, there's another one? <laughs> and so Pat Williams called me in, in uh, Greensboro and said, we'd like to bring you in for an interview. And he brought me down. I passed that. And then they had a uh, pre-draft camp. It was called the Orlando All-Star Classic. And what they do, they would bring in all the top potential draft picks. And they put together eight teams. And they play a round-robin tournament over two days. So they said, we'd like you to come down and do these games. And we'll use that kind of as your audition tape. You know, I, I faked a tape like Bob Costas. did, right, got a TV right. reel and did play-by-play <laughs> on my microcassette, uh, microcassette recorder and edited it together and sent it to him. And that was fine. So I went down and worked with a man named Bucky Waters. Bucky Waters was NBC's basketball analyst, and he was kind of the Dick Vitale, Billy Packer of his era. Really good. So we do the games. Eight games, they go off pretty well. And Bucky says, hey, man, thanks. Really enjoyed working with you. You did a nice job. How long have you been doing basketball? Because he'd not heard of me. And he knew all the college guys. I kind of gave him one of my dad's looks. I said, well, actually, these are the first eight I've ever done. And he said, what? I said, yeah. Kind of told a little white lie to Pat Williams. I said, how did I do? I said, He said, I think you passed the audition. You're going to be just fine. So uh, a month later, uh, at the age of 24, they hired me out of Greensboro, North Carolina, to be the initial TV play-by-play announcer for the Orlando Magic. I was the youngest guy in the NBA by, gosh, five years. And um, I can honestly say, Kyle, that I was worse than the team. They won 15 games out of 82. That's how bad it was. And I say it all the time. If, if they'd had Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, I'd be selling Toyotas. I wouldn't be doing baseball. I wouldn't be doing much of anything. But I, the, that opportunity allowed me the luxury to grow into right. – um, figuring out what it was like to be an announcer. And then from there, Orlando tried to get a major league team in the expansion wave. They were in the hunt for one of the expansion franchises that went to Florida. So I did AA, the Orlando Sunrays. That was a twins farm system. We had a loaded team. We had um, Scott Erickson, Denny Nagel, Doug Simons, Rich Garces, uh, Jarvis Brown was on that team. Chuck Knobloch was on that team. Um, got to travel with them, 16-hour bus ride from Orlando to oh, Memphis. Yeah. You remember those good oh, old yeah. days. That was fun. And then that led to um, 
me going to Atlanta uh, in 1991. Uh, they were looking for a guy to do some games on their small cable thing called Sports South with Ernie Johnson, and I got the job. And so on opening day 1991, not only do I finally have a chance to work with my dad, who yeah. I know particularly well, <clears throat> I got to do the team that I kind of covered and followed a lot because it was my dad, not because I lived there, but, you know, Braves. And we're playing the Dodgers opening day. So I'm working with Ernie Johnson, who won a World Series with Hank Aaron in Milwaukee. His son's the guy that's on TNT. Fans might not remember Ernie Johnson was a really good relief pitcher in his day. My dad's in the radio booth with Pete Van Weeren, and I'm doing opening day with Ernie Johnson against the Dodgers with Vin Scully in the booth to my left. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't screw this up, can I? So we do the opening lineups, and Vin Scully's in the back of the booth with a cup of coffee, just stirring it. He knew Dad, knows Dad, and he knew Harry. They were contemporaries. And, I go, and uh, the umpires for today's game, it's uh, uh, Doug Harvey, blah, 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 blah. And we'll be back with the starting lineups after this. I take off my headsets, and I put them down, and I'm just kind of like, you know, they, they tell you in your first game, breathe and yeah, enjoy the yeah, moment. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I'm enjoying the moment. I think, I'm in the major leagues. I can't believe I'm here. Well, in the old booth in Atlanta, it was very wide like this room, and there was a gigantic plexiglass barrier that was about that thick. It was a soundproof barrier. Vin Scully walks out of our booth and walks down the steps, and as he, as he goes down the steps, he goes with his Hall of Fame ring on the glass. Oh, it's in. It's Vin. And he takes, his, takes a sip of his coffee and smiles and says, welcome to the club. That's cool. Now, you're 25, 26 years old. You have a grandfather who's on national TV. You have a dad who's on national TV. You just did the lineups, and you're on the air. And Vin Scully, who's the voice of God in our game, <laughs> the, the true baseball Shakespeare, there'll never be, never be another one yeah. of them. And he welcomes you like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about feeling like you're king of the mountain. That was, that was really, really special. So from there, um, I was in line for the Braves job in 93. Um, they needed another player. So Joe Simpson came over from Seattle and took over because they wanted two players and two play-by-play -play guys. Back in the good old days, everybody did radio and TV. They'd switch, which was so much fun. That said, they didn't want a third play-by-play -play guy. They said, you, you could do the job, but you're not, you weren't a player. Darn players. Um, <laughs> so I went to Seattle, and that's when I got to hang out with Lou Pinella and see Ken Griffey Jr. and all those guys, 93, 94, 95. And that's kind of where it all – that's where the movement really yeah. started for me. So uh, it's a long circuit. You think it was good to get out of Atlanta yeah. and kind of get on your own a Yeah, because, bit? you know, it's a, it, this is a personality-driven business. And the inevitable comparisons would have been, yeah. oh, he's here only because his dad's here. Right. Or he sounds a lot like his dad. And it's, again, funny, as I said earlier, how baseball and life kind of comes full circle. People forget my dad, as good as I think he was on TV and radio as a baseball guy, he was a better basketball announcer. My dad did the St. Louis Hawks. And uh, when the Hawks left St. Louis to go to Atlanta, it was rumored that my they asked my dad, would you like to do hockey? They asked him if he wanted to do the blues. And he said, no, I need to, I need to go and, and forge my own path. So he went with the Hawks to Atlanta in 67 or 68. So imagine what that was like yeah. in that part of the world with the, the you know with, with the social and racial stuff that was going on with an NBA team, which was incredibly uh, um, uh, helpful for him to understand. But he forged his own path in Atlanta, and then six years later when Ted Turner bought the team, he hired my dad and Pete Van Weeren, and that's when that trio took off with the Braves. I think hockey would be the hardest one to broadcast. Those oh names God. and the line shifts constantly. Oh. Like in baseball, it's like a big deal. Like, hey, everybody – 
We're making a sub here. This is okay. We got that. Plus the, the plus the Finnish and Russian and Czechoslovakian oh names, and, and then the French Canadian names. Uh, those, you know. How do you I, know who's coming? Like, oh, I didn't know he came on the ice, and he's like, you got to know. It's like, funny. I asked, I asked Gary Thorne, who's a great hockey announcer. How do you do this? It's a very simple. I know who the wingers are with the center. I know who the center. So I know yeah, who the center you know is. The lines. Then I know who the lines are, and then I can figure out defense. And, and you know, as we go. Uh, but I was a kid that grew up listening to Dan Kelly, Dan yeah. Kelly and Gus Kyle. Yeah, those are going left to right <laughs> on your Camwax radio dial. I mean, yeah. And that's what's so cool about this city is it's not a big town, right? It's a very provincial town. And if you're from here, you're of here, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And the people that that uh, worked on this station and the jobs that they did for so long, um, they created generational memories for for older guys like me. I mean, I'm sure a lot of young fans don't remember the name Dan Kelly. They know his sons, right. but they probably don't remember hearing him an awful lot. But I'll never forget mm-hmm. hearing Dan Kelly and Gus Kyle. I mean, those were the voices of my childhood. And that's What's so exciting, I think, uh, for me personally and for anybody who sits in one of these chairs is to know the impact you're going to hopefully have 20, 30 years from now after we're gone. Yeah, 100%. So you leave you leave Seattle, you go to Chicago. Seattle, I did Fox Sports. I did Fox um, um, studio stuff. I was the studio host for the World Series. Made George Steinbrenner cry. Very proud of that. Um, <laughs> make my wife cry a lot, too, for that. That's not such a big deal. Uh, but, yeah, I did Fox studio stuff on the network level. Did some network games for them. And then um, the Cubs called. Uh, kind of like the Cardinal situation. A couple of years earlier, the Cubs had called and asked if I would be interested in coming up, and I was, uh, but I couldn't take the job. It was they wanted me to do radio. They didn't want to pay me anything. I was I had a young family, and just economically, it wasn't going to work. Hey, let, come live in Chicago for fifty grand. Right. Good right, luck with that. Right. right. So I didn't take the job, and my grandfather was really mad. He would he did not speak to me for seven months. Mm. Chicago's the greatest city in the world. Mm. How can you turn this down? You got to come to Chicago. And my dad finally called him. I, I said, "Dad, I need some help." And Dad told him the economic part of it. And Harry said, "Well, you know, you could make it up to." And said, "Well, if you feel," he said, "if you feel that strongly about it, why don't you pay him the difference of what the job's worth?" Well, you know, all of a sudden his tune <laughs> changed, right? So we got that we got that patched up, and then. Um, when Tommy Brenneman left to go to Arizona, I came in for the interview, and I walk into the office, and the uh, the lady at the front desk said, well, you sure know how to make an impression. I've never met her in my life. I said, what do you mean? She said, you haven't seen the paper yet? I said, no. no that's not good. <laughs> she said, I'm going to bring you a cup of coffee. Why don't you sit down and just relax a second? So backstory on that was my grandfather had a, a – a writer in Chicago by the name of Stephen Knightitz, who at the end of his career was saying, you know, look, Harry's losing his fastball. It's time for him to step aside. We need a younger generation. He's older and he's mispronouncing all, all the stuff that people find endearing. And Harry never forgot that. Harry was a guy that um, if you, um, let's just say he was not a turn the other cheek guy. Mm-hmm. Never forgot. So I'm sitting there ha- waiting for the coffee. The coffee comes. She hands me the paper and she says, if you need a moment, just let me know. I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> So I'm sitting in the in the room, and I open up the pace the, the paper, f- banner headline atop the sports page. It might be, it could be, it is, third generation carry to join Cubs broadcast booth. Press conference is at one o'clock today. Oh gosh, it was for Pat Hughes, who's going to the Hall of Fame as the radio announcer. Uh. Someone I can't say who, someone planted a story to take care of some past grievances. So it wasn't me that they hired. 
They then hired Josh Lewin to do the TV side because Harry wanted to cut back on his schedule. Josh and Harry didn't really mesh, and Josh is a very talented guy, but for whatever reason, they wanted to make a change. So uh, the Cubs in 97 started talking to me and said, hey, we want you to come to Chicago. And by this time, I said, okay, I, I think I need to do this. We, brand, My wife and I, brand new baby girl, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about this. So they hired me. So um, I call my grandfather, and this is right around Christmas or right after Christmas. I said, well, it took six years, but you finally have a partner. Hey, holy cow. <laughs> he was so excited. And I was getting excited. And the plan for that in Chicago was – Harry wasn't going to travel, but to maybe New York and maybe St. Louis. He mm-hmm. loved coming here, obviously, because mm-hmm. he's from here. But I was going to do all the road games, and I was going to do the middle three innings at Wrigley and the pregame and the postgame. And the beauty of that was I didn't know anything about Chicago, right? And Harry's big, tough guy. You know, He would take on all comers. He was going to help me transition into that town and learn where the landmines were. And in Chicago, it's really different because you could be – the greatest broadcaster in the world for the Cubs, the White Sox fans are going to hate your guts with every fiber of their being, and they're going to write letters to the editor. And conversely, the same thing. I mean, White Sox fans, it was said, cared more. if the, They liked it better if the Cubs lost than if the White Sox won. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how that was. And Harry, Harry was a traitor to them. So now he goes from the south side to the north side. I would have learned all about that part of it. I would have learned about um, what it was like for him growing up. I don't know any of that stuff. I know mm-hmm. his house is on Lafayette Square, uh, 1917 LaSalle Street is where he grew up. And I know that his dad left the family when he was a little kid. His mother died when he was very young, and he was raised by his sister's, uh, his mother's sister, his aunt. Um, but I don't know what it was like to j- jump on the train at Union Station yeah. and play cards with Stan Musial. Harry saw Jackie Robinson in the first week that he played. Now think about the yeah. sea change of of of, of – our whole world, our whole sport, seeing Jackie Robinson integrate the major leagues. And my grandfather had a front seat to all of that. Um, all the history of the Cardinals, all the history of growing up an orphan and penniless in St. Louis and how he navigated that and how he got his jobs and how he, um, through the force of his own personality, made himself um, you know, such an indispensable member of the organization. How he and Jack Buck were the greatest broadcast tandem perhaps in the history of our game on radio. All of those stories and all of those things were lost to time because uh, on Valentine's Day, he and his wife went out to dinner. He stood up, he slipped, he fell, he hit his head, went into a coma and died seven days later. Mm. So I never got to work with him. And um, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was opening day in Chicago, 1998. Obviously, he's my grandfather. And I call him Harry and not out of disrespect, but, you know, I I had two meals with him. I didn't, I, you know, he, I wasn't wasn't really on the radar because he didn't know how to be a family guy because he didn't have family. I wasn't on his radar until I got into the business. And then he would pay a little more close attention to it. And it wasn't because he was indifferent. He just didn't know. Right, right. And so opening day, 1998, uh, I'm this green kid who's living in Orlando, Florida, and I don't have a car in Chicago. And I talked to Sharon Panazzo, who was the then uh, media relations director with the Cubs. And I said, how do I get to the ballpark? She said, oh, jump on the L. It's easy. From where you're staying, it's five stops. You jump on the L, get to Wrigley. I said, okay, no problem. It's $1.50 each way. I said, okay, no problem. I get on the train. It's 28 degrees and snowing. I'm sitting there with my suit and tie, and I've got my briefcase, and I'm thinking, okay, I've done this before. I think I can handle it, but this is – I don't know really what to expect. And we get out of the first station, and I'm one of two people in the train car. And, you know, you can move between the cars and the, the, 
a train goes into a tunnel. And as the train goes into a tunnel, the door opens and this big booming voice says, this will only take a second. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get robbed and murdered on the train going to Wrigley Field the first time. He goes, I'm here because I'm selling candy bars for my high school football team. They're a dollar a piece. I said, here's 20. Get out of here. You know, so, you know, it's a check your short special yeah. before you've even yeah. said ball one at Wrigley Field. So I get to the ballpark and they're unveiling the statue. And I walk into that booth. And obviously, um, all the media is wondering how this is going to yeah. work. And, you know, it's kind of yeah. like here. It's you know, new guy, um, but I'm Harry Carey. That's my legal name. I walk into his ballpark, his booth, his partner, his crew, his director, his producer, his team, and his microphone. Mm-hmm. And I got to do that. And that was really, really hard in so many ways. Easy in that I didn't really know him, but hard because, as I said earlier, I had to work really hard to be me. And um, Steve Stone was an an unbelievably helpful and fantastic partner. And he said, uh, you know, you don't have to try to be Harry. Just be yourself and and whatever you need. We never had a production meeting. It was great. Um, But that was hard. That was hard because I I was excited for the opportunity. And again, how life mirrors – and, and repeats itself. It's kind of like here. I was excited about the opportunity and really, really sad about the way it came about because there's nothing in my fiber and my being as a family guy and a person who b- truly believes you can't know where you're going if you don't know where your family has been, um, that we missed out on all of that um, is, is really, really sad. Yeah. So you, you spend your time in Chicago, then you leave there and go to Atlanta. Correct. Go back. With yep. Now you get a chance to catch back up with your dad. Yeah. So I mean, it's just crazy. Like I mean, your your circle. I mean, it, like your family name is obviously legendary in the broadcasting, but the opportunity to to get to be a part of that, you know, is yeah. is, is, is I never, is a cool I, never I mean, it's it's really weird. I never <clears throat> intended to leave Chicago. Right. They offered me a contract to stay, but the but the Braves deal was better for me. I had a young family, and you know, as you know, you follow the money. Yeah. I, you know, it's not that I was disloyal to the Cubs, but the Tribune company had billions of dollars. They could have paid me whatever they wanted to pay me. They chose not to. Um, and again, my parents divorced. I saw my dad on weekend visitations. I saw him when I was in college and I saw him a lot when I would travel in to see the Cubs and we always had a good time doing that. But it was an opportunity for me to, again, sort of be the next guy They, they hired me said, look, your dad, we don't know how long he wants to do this, or he may want to go to radio, but we want you to be our guy for the next 20 years of Braves, 30 years of Braves baseball on TBS. Mm-hmm. Great. Fantastic. And I get to hang out with my dad. Yeah. And boot. I mean, for folks who don't understand our jobs, it's six months of 24-7, and then it all comes to a screeching halt professionally because the season ends whenever it ends. But your life doesn't end because all of a sudden the responsibilities of husband, father, yeah. homeowner, uh, change the oil. Yeah, now you know, you're in the kid pickup line oh for the first God. time. And, and, <laughs> you don't, and you don't get a break, and I don't right, mean that in a bad right, way. It's, right. it's just, you really do have to wear a zillion hats, and it changes so quickly. Um, I didn't know my dad. I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad. Um, and so I can't tell you how gratifying it was to go on the road and fly into San Diego and say, let's go get a drink. Yeah. And my dad got really emotional a couple of times because, you know, again, I don't want to get into it, but the stuff that had happened during my childhood, he didn't know about, and he felt incredibly guilty about that. He felt bad that he couldn't be there to see me grow up. I mean, I was, I was five or six years old when he left. And the next time he really had meaningful time with me, I was 15 and yeah. six feet tall. It's like, well, how the hell did that happen? Right, right? You know, right, right. We all go through it as parents. But we sat and he said, he said, I'm really sorry. And I said, Dad, 
do you like who I am? I mean, do you, forget that I'm your kid. Would I be a guy that you want to hang out with? And he said, yeah, easy. I said, well, then don't feel any sorrow because those some experiences are all a part of who and what I am. Right. I wouldn't be who I am mm-hmm. if I hadn't experienced those things. So I hope I helped him clear whatever guilt that he had about um, not being present for, for so much of my childhood. But it was so gratifying for me in the latter stages of his life to be able to go get his medicine, to take him to the doctor, to buy him lunch, to take his bag to his room. And more than once, he got my bag and I got his, <laughs> and we aren't exactly the same size person. Let me tell you, that was a little interesting. But all those little things that that, that make up a family, a, yeah. a baseball yeah. family, that's kind of how we started to rebuild as um, – father and son. And, um, you know, when, uh, the weekend he died, I was doing TBS baseball. I flew to New York on a, f- on a Thursday for a Saturday game and he wasn't well. Um, dad had had some kidney problems and heart problems and, and just was, was a mess. And I gave him a big hug and I said, well, I love you. I've got to go on the road trip. I'll see you in two weeks. Cause we were, the Braves were going, I was meeting the team after the game in New York, flying to San Francisco for a West coast trip. He said, I love you too. And he gave me a hug and he just held on for an extra second. I was like, okay, cool. That's great. Hey man, we're connecting. Mm -hmm. And flew to New York, did the game. Uh, The Yankees won. They beat the Angels, I think. Mark Teixeira drove in seven runs, something crazy like that. Finished the game, get a ride to the airport. I'm sitting in the uh, Delta Club at um, JFK to fly to San Francisco. And my stepmother calls. She's crying. This isn't good. She said he's gone. I said, what? He's gone. Dad went out in the morning to feed the birds, which was his favorite thing to do, fed mm-hmm. the birds, had a heart attack, boom, he's in the yard. She thought, she went, ran some errands, came back home. She thought he was upstairs taking a nap. She found him in the backyard. And my life changed on a dime because, as you look, any, your dad's your hero. You yeah. know? And not perfect, but he was my hero. And he taught me so much. And to go from being the, again, being the understudy and being the um, – you know, just another kid in the family to being kind of the patriarch now in an instant. It happens to all of us, but the way that happened was was really, really hard. Um, and so my, my, my standard line is I hope that uh, they're looking down and not up, <laughs> and I hope they're proud of, of, of the things that I've been able to do with their help and with their guidance and with their influence and with um, um, you know, their example uh, because they, they, they just in, instilled in me be genuine, be yourself, and tell the truth, and let the chips fall where they may. And knock on wood, so far they've they've uh, they've fallen very very nicely for me. Yeah, that's incredible. I appreciate you sharing that. And um, so now you come to St. Louis, and obviously it's a it's a tough situation. You're friends with Danny Mac. You guys have been in the industry together. Yep. Uh, so you get a job that, as you say, is kind of a, a dream come true. But also, and and you're getting that job because of something that happened to your friend that that that's a tough that's a tough thing and and it happens in in baseball all the time for players you know you get the call when I got called up to the 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 thing that kind of got me on my path I was I had struggled really bad in the minor leagues had Tommy John surgery which actually saved my career because I was probably going to get released it gave me a little Mm. time to recover ended up having two years of surgeries 22 months to the day of rehab I go back in and they put me in high a well, they put me in high A only because Josh Hancock was killed in a car accident, and I was sitting in in uh, in, in West Palm uh, in my condo, and I got the phone call. I knew know what happened, and I thought they were going to send me to low A, and they said we don't have anybody ready from low A to go to high A. We're going to send you to high A, and that was my chance. Jason Mott went from high A to double A. Dennis Dove went from triple A to the big leagues. I can't remember who went from double A AA to triple A. 
But I went over there. I pitched for a month. I pitched really well. I, I got called up to Springfield. I've never pitched above low A, and I had never had success really. Went to Springfield in double A for two months. Went to the Arizona Fall League. Get put on the 40-man roster. Make the team out of spring training the next year when I had zero chance of making it. So all that to be said, it's it's it wasn't ideal, right? I didn't right. know Josh, but obviously that's that's a terrible way to catch your break. But it happened, and I was there, and I was ready, and you know, yeah. and, it, and it turned into a career. But I mean, that's that's a tough situation. I, I'm heartbroken for Dan. Um, what can be said that hasn't been said already? Right. Um, I'm happy that he's getting the help he needs. It's obvious. I'm thankful that he's given me his endorsement. Um, but I firmly believe also this isn't my job. This is the Cardinals' job. Yeah. I'm a placeholder. I'll be here as long as they determine that I'm the right man for the job. And if I don't mess it up, then hopefully I can stay for as long as I want to. But I don't get to make that choice. And the way that I've tried to rationalize this is somebody was going to get this job. Once they made the decision that, that they couldn't continue, um, someone was going to have the job. And if that was going to be the case, then I'd prefer that someone to be me instead of someone else. Um, am I happy with the way that it came about? Of course not. I'm a human being. Dan is my friend. Yeah. And I hope that we'll be able to reconnect in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Um, you know, he, he has made it clear he needs some space and needs some time to figure all of this stuff out. And I, I would do nothing more than respect that. He's still my friend. Um, I, you know, we had a lot of laughs, and hopefully we'll have a lot more. We're very different. I think you know that on the mm -hmm. air. We do the game very differently. Um, but we both share a very, very strong passion for the team, for baseball. I know Dan loves his family. He's a great dad. Um, but he has a disease, and I'm glad that he's doing what needs to be done to make him better because – I firmly believe someone's going to give him a chance. Yeah. I think he's great at what he does. Unbelievable our, at what he does, yeah. business needs people like him yep. in the booth. And, um, you know, the broadcasting fraternity is a lesser place without him. And as I've told him, I will do anything I can to help him when he's ready to accept my help. And so until that time comes, I, I, like I've been saying, I tip my cap and wish him well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the same from everybody. Of I mean, course. everybody's in a big fan of his. And, and when you talk about it, I mean, I growing up, you know, listening to to the games and you know Jack sure. Buck and uh, you know all the names that go. I mean, there, there's a lot of my memories, my childhood memories are you know listening to KMOX and in, in the car riding to and from ball games with my parents and and uh, brothers and sisters and listening to, to those voices. But uh, how's it been with with your with Thompson and Edmonds and you know you got to get to know those guys a little bit too. You got to get to know the players on the fields, but also the guys you're working with. Well, and that's the, right. I mean, it's a challenge again. Another foreign language. I got to try. <laughs> no, they've been great. Um, What's really fun is when you sit in our chair, you know, Brian Snitker, the Braves manager, said this of me and he said it of his players, But and, and please don't confuse that I'm saying that I'm like the players, but he has a phrase that I think is really, really important to understand. Be a boring pro, right? Do your routine the same as you can every day. Go do your job and then go home. Go do it the next day. And if you can do that enough and develop that routine and pattern – you're going to have a pretty successful career more often than not. Obviously, right. it's performance, and you might get hurt or whatever. Or you might get laryngitis and can't do it. But if you're a boring pro in this game, because there are so many games and so many variables and you're away from home so much, that gives you a foundation and a fighting chance. Um, the other side of that coin is boring can sometimes be a bad thing because it's the same thing every day. You know what your partner is going to say. He knows <laughs> what you're going to say. This promo is going to be read here. You know the team is going to lose 97 games, and you're just like, I mean, 
I love the guy. I, I love what Pittsburgh's doing. Their 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 team is is playing great to start the season. It's fun. It's and I'm happy for their announcers because yeah, year after year after year, when you're losing 80, 90, 100 games, that's hard. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to talk about, right? right. And I'm just, and that's not a knock on Pittsburgh. Right, but right, that's right. that's the that's the facts, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so boring can be an enemy too. But that said, the refreshing side is I get to work with new people who see the game in a very different way. Um, I have great partners in Atlanta. They're fantastic. They're my friends. I mean, I my my colleagues are not my my coworkers. They're my family. Yeah, and that's how what I'm. You spend more time with them than your well, family. Well, I, I really sure. believe that. Yeah. And so, Brad is very analytical and very st- statistically and analytically inclined, and he understands all that stuff. Like I said, I'm a C plus student in high school. <laughs> I can barely balance my checkbook, but I'm learning from him. And I think if you're in this chair, in this job, if you're not learning something new every day, then you are boring. You're stagnant. You're not going to advance. You're not going to be the best version of yourself, to quote Dansby Swanson. Um, Jim is a baseball savant, the antithesis of analysis or analytical analysis, the antithesis of numbers. He goes by what he sees, and he's able to pick up guys that are tipping and win an outfield throw. I saw slightly off. last night he talked about the positioning of, the, of Jordan Walker going to get the get the ball in the corner. Yeah, all of that, yeah. right? And so I come from the style where Harry said the game isn't in the notes, the game isn't in your book. Right. The game's out there. Right. Describe what you see. You don't need all that stuff. Yep. And, and like players today, knowing what their expected batting average is, or what their launch angle is, or their exit velos mm-hmm. are, or the spin rate, those are. Those are security blankets for them. As long as they understand that doesn't matter if it's not a good pitch. Right. Or it doesn't matter if it's a— It just reinforces what happened on the field. And reinforces that right. you're on the right path, right? right? And, right. and maybe it's total BS. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's important. That's what those notes are for. If it's 15-1 game, i got to have something to talk about. So instead <laughs> right. of doing this at the last minute, you write it down, right? right. So um, Brad and Jim have been incredible. Um Brad's awesome. He's got a young family, so that yeah. reminds me of what my life was yeah. like when I was in my 30s. God, I wish I was again. And Jim has been awesome. You know, um, he sees things that that I wouldn't know because you know, the guy's borderline hall, of, maybe a yeah. hall of fame player. And and it would be stupid of me not to hand the baton to those guys as often as I can. They played, I didn't, and um, I don't care who reads the big note or who reads yeah. the important stat. I mean, I'd rather them do it yeah. because I truly believe in our sport that the analyst should be the star. They were the star. They right. played. Right. So our job is to make them comfortable and feel like like we're doing right now. It's just two guys talking about something that we both share a passion for. I know how hard it is. I can't do it. So tell me how hard it is so that the fans understand how hard it is. And maybe you'll teach them something they didn't know and take them where they can't or haven't been before. And I think they've done a great job with that. You ever seen anybody with more energy than Brad? Uh, well, Jeff Francoeur is pretty close. Yeah, uh, I Jeff's, can see that. Jeff's pretty close. Uh, Paul Bird in Atlanta yeah, yeah. Uh, was a five cup of coffee a day guy yeah. before a game, which was a bit of a challenge from time to time. Uh, but that's but that's important, you know. Um, He's I, I think Brad's done a great. I mean, I played with Brad, and I think he he does a great job. He cares. Yeah, right? he does. And, a, and anybody, he's just a, he's he's always been a pro. I mean, he was a he he had been in a little bit. Uh, before me, always been a pro in everything he did, the way he went about yeah. it there when he got off and started on the, the radio stuff. And he just, he, he cares. He cares about the product he puts out. And, and that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, he does it, a great it's, job. You know, I was talking with Jim uh, when we played the Pirates. And I said, you know, the really great analysts first guess. 
tell me what you think is going to happen and why. Right? Anybody could say, well, he shouldn't have. Right. Kyle shouldn't have hung that slider and yeah, Bonds yeah. hit at 900. Well, duh. My favorite part is when you give up a home run after the game and the media comes in and they're like, is that what you meant to do? Oh, no, cool. that, that's, of course. That's not what I meant no, to I do. No, I meant, it for, I meant <laughs> for it to go in the third yeah. deck. Yeah, right. But, and, and the reason I say that is, is Jim has enough baseball smarts yeah. and preparation to do that. So, so does Brad. So I'm, I'm just using this because I had the conversation with, with Jimmy. Steve Stone was magnificent at that. And Jim said, you know, I, I don't, and I hope I'm not speaking out of school here. But no, nobody wants to be wrong. Well, nobody's going to second guess you second guessing because that's baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he should. I think he should throw him a slider because he did this. This well, he threw a slider, but it hung and he hit it. He made a mistake with it. Mean, yeah. And if you do that, you're seeing the game forward. Managers, players yeah. hate being second guessed. It's the worst thing that TV does with the replays because it it comes off at times as second guessing. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as Here's what happened, and in the really good an- analysts and Jim and Brad do this. Here's what he's trying to do, but instead, this is what happened, right. and that's fair. Yeah. And the really good analysts are able to do that, and both of them, I think, are are, are really really fun. Different, great, different personalities, um, quirky in their own ways. Lord <laughs> knows I am too, but I think that's why it works, you know, because nobody wants to sit and hear three Chip Carries or three Brad Thompsons or three Jim Edmonds. That's yeah. that's what makes this stew so exciting, I think. Well, it's it's been great so far to listen to, and, and I appreciate you stopping by, thanks, and uh, and having the conversation. I, I think it's perfect timing. Like I said at the beginning, I think you know fans to to be hearing you for you to be the one delivering the message to them and and painting the picture for them um, to listen to, and then to get to know you a little bit more. Well, I, th- I think it's fantastic. Uh, I, as you said, I grew up here. I never imagined that I'd be fortunate enough to sit in this chair. And when I think about Harry Carey, Jack Buck, Joe Garagiola, Joe Buck, Dan McLaughlin, Jay Randolph, Ron Jacober. Dizzy Dean, uh, the people that have sat in that chair, it's not lost on me. And, um, you know, it's incredibly humbling when you're welcomed into that kind of fraternity and you're welcomed home, too. Uh, my family is overjoyed with how nice everyone has been. Look, there's the Midwestern sensibility yeah. thing we all understand. But I can honestly say for the first time in 20-plus years, my wife is really excited about where I'm working. And I can't tell you how much that means to me uh, and means to her. Um, you know, when you when you have support at home and it's sort of lukewarm – that makes it a little tough to be yeah. away. And she's actually planning on making four or five trips to St. Louis. She's had her first bout of toaster ravioli in Ted Drew's, <laughs> so we're slowly indoctrinating her. But I really want to say to, to everybody, um, you know, love me, hate me. You're going to get me. Um, and we're really, really grateful and appreciative, name notwithstanding, of how welcoming everybody's been. And as I said, I hope I do the chair justice. We're, we're, uh, we're glad you're here and glad to have you. And uh, that's going to wrap it up today. But uh, make sure you check out the Chattersbox podcast on all platforms. Wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to it. It's also on the Cardinals YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch the video versions. And we are going to put out content every about the 15th of every month. So look back at all the ones from last year, the ones we've done this year, and the ones that are coming up. Thanks for joining, and we'll catch you next month.